This is Planted, a podcast that encourages us to be rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ and established in the faith. So as we go forward today, I'm trying to decide how far back to begin reading. I know I at least want to read verse 28, but do we want to even jump back? I think 27 uh, would be a good place okay. uh, to go. You know, and before you be- begin there, just as a, as a quick reminder, we were talking about this intimate relationship that we've been invited into and that we have. As believers, that's a promise if we are... If we are saved, then we are in relationship as God's children with him, and we have that perfect fellowship, right? Um, But again, one of the things that sometimes tends to upset our own apple cart Mm -hmm. is our own sin, right? And so this is something that we daily want to be tackling and resolving and not living in the defeat when when it comes, right? Because... We, we, we must live in a, a lifestyle of confession right. uh, to, to God. And we have talked about this in the previous episodes, but I think yeah. that we want to have that as part of the package as we, as we move forward, right? Yeah. And so that's great because what we read, this is the end of chapter one of First John, that, that, that still holds. And especially as, as we read on in this, we might, I think I'm going to read... Today I'm going to read through verse ten, although we may not we may not even get through verse three of chapter yeah. three. But uh, I think it's good in that light to read all that. But as we read this, it's going to seem like is John contradicting himself because we re- remember back in verse eight of chapter one, he says, "If we if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us." So we got to remember that that still holds, right? You know, um, so. But when we get into the, some of these verses we're going to read here, again, it, and I think I mentioned this in the last episode, it has to do with the, how our whole life trajectory is being characterized. I, I say this often, the Christian life is not about perfection, it's about direction. And so if we think about what's the trajectory, this direction our life is heading, it should be characterized by fruitfulness of righteousness and 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 the lack of sin. It doesn't mean we don't sin at all. But it means that more and more we will be living unto Christ and less and less following after the love of the world and so forth. Right, right. and that's described to us in the term sanctification, a sanctified life. As we, as yeah. we, as we grow, we're 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 separating ourselves more from the world, right. um, just as a as a normal growth as we mature in Christ. Yeah, the more and more we're being set apart unto. Um, Unto the Lord, which is to sanctify, is similar to the word holy uh, in, in that to just set apart for for God's use, uh, which could also be even like consecrated mm-hmm. and things like. In the same vein, they all have a little nuances to them. Right. But, but the point is, is that that's that when we talk about the process of sanctification, that's what we're talking about, and that always uh, when and when we think about that, just quickly, is that we recognize that. The ultimate full and final part of that is accomplished by Christ alone. The Westminster Confession reminds us of that. But yet, in in this here and now life, this life of the already not yet, we we in our embodiment of the Spirit in us, there is still, as we've talked about, the residue of the old man and the and the the growth and birth and and maturing of the new man. And that's a process. And that's a process that we participate in through yielding 
through submission and, and trust. And um, it's all empowered by the Spirit, who's going to fully and finally accomplish them in our resurrected bodies. Sure. But, but, it's, but it is something now that is that, that we are working out our salvation with fear and trembling even now. So Got it. All right. So let's uh, pick up. I'll, I'll read today. Uh, I'll start in verse uh, 27. I'm going to be reading from the Lexham English Bible today. Uh, and uh, I'll, just a little context again, it's, this is all in light of this anointing of the Holy One referenced back in verse 20. Um, that And then verse 24, as for you, what you've heard from the beginning must remain in you or this abiding. So it's abiding in us. And then we pick up here in verse 27, he says, and as for you again, uh, the anointing which you received from him remains in you. And you do not have need that anyone teach you. But his anointing teach, teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie. And just as it has taught you, you reside in him. And now, little children, remain in him, so that whenever he is revealed, we may have confidence and not be put to shame before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness has been fathered by him. See what sort of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And we are. Because of this, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that whenever he is revealed, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as that one is pure. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that the one who was revealed in order that he might take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Everyone who resides in him does not sin. Everyone who sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children... Let no one deceive you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as that one is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. For this reason, the Son of God was revealed in order to destroy the works of the devil. Everyone who's fathered by God does not practice sin, because his seed resides in him, and he is able and he's not able to sin because he has been fathered by God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are evident. Everyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, namely the one who does not love his brother. That's a lot, <laughs> but yeah. we'll see what we get to today. But let, let me pray for us as we get started. Holy Spirit, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray uh, for your help and guidance in us. Uh, we do trust in the Spirit of Truth, uh, who who leads us into all righteousness and, and wisdom, and we pray, Lord, that you would do your work of shedding light into our minds as we are transformed more and more to the image of your Son Jesus. And we ask, uh, Lord, for your help as we have this discussion in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, you know it's interesting that. Uh, 
and, and this happens, sometimes it's really good where the chapter breaks are, um, but sometimes it, a chapter break begins where you really need to pick up a couple of verses beforehand. Oh, right. And that's yeah. exactly what happens here. I right. mean, this, this flows so well into, uh, you know, the chapter three discussion that it's, right. it's important that you read what, where you began, I believe. Yeah. So we have that, I think, uh, as we think about this, uh, and I even brought up the, this anointing, which I'm like, we could do such a deep dive into this would be so cool. But if we think of, of, because this picks up a little bit what we talked about last um, podcast, when it says you don't have anyone, anyone to teach you, I really believe what's going on here is John is concerned about the false teachers. I'll just correct what you said because you left out a word when it says you don't have need of anyone to teach you. Okay. Yeah, yeah, the need that anyone teach you. That he's concerned about these false teachers who are trying to reteach or add on or take away or something that's going on here, right? And so the uh, – but the Spirit who's revealed that core essence of the gospel to us – it's not that we don't revisit it or, or talk about it anymore, but the point is, is that uh, be very wary of someone who's coming and says, oh, you know, well, this is the real Christian message. Right. And it's yeah. something other than Jesus Christ and him crucified and resurrected. <laughs> right. Well, that's really important. You know, there's, there's another term that we use when we deal with the scriptures, um, and it's the word hermeneutics, mm-hmm. right? And that's that the the scripture all has harmony with within the entirety Old Testament, New Testament, and that anything that contradicts a certain part of it can't right. uh, can't be true if it if there's a, a direct contradiction. Now that doesn't mean there can't be two ways to look at things depending on the context, right? Right. But but the the idea is that when somebody else comes in. And says, "Well, it's not just by Jesus Christ; it's by Jesus Christ plus your efforts." Um, then we say, "Well, wait a minute; it doesn't say that here, right? right?" And so there's there's all all those aspects that we also have to, you know, keep in mind at all at all given times. Yeah, yeah. I didn't mean to throw you off track, but I just no, no. I, I, I think that. it's right, but but as we look at what he's saying here, you can you can take one little sentence or one little half of a sentence here, and and run with it and, and say, okay, uh, you know, you don't, you, you do not have need that anyone teach you. Right. Okay. I, I'm, you know, I don't need, right. I, I'm going to take that at its face value and, and run with it. And so I don't need to go to church. I don't need, <laughs> right. I don't need to go to Bible study. I'll just, it's just me and my Bible. That's all I need. Yep, exactly right. Yep, absolutely. So that's that's right. And at the, um, we know that doesn't work because of the, the whole rest of Scripture testifies to one the, to not forsake the assembling of yourselves, right. right? And then to use other Scriptures to to edify the the whole idea of the preaching is to right. edify the body. So we so we know how to do the the works that are yeah. entailed in, in living out the church right. life. And we admonish each other and right. we help each other. Uh, and we need, we need all that. So, uh, so yeah, it's very important to, to keep it in context of what he's been talking about. What is the false? He's just been talking about antichrists, those who are teaching something other than Jesus. And so we need to see that that's like, and then also 
we, as we think about the, um, I'm sorry. I I was just going to jump in with a quick thought that the other idea of this anointing that we've talked about really being that which is the Holy Spirit that lives within us testifying to the truth of the scriptures, right? And so we have the the spirit that when somebody is is speaking or if something comes in and contradiction something that we all we know, already know the holy spirit is the is the person of the godhead that raises that red flag for us right? right so he'll he'll help guide and direct us as well exactly exactly right so uh so anything else on verse 27 that you that you have that you want to bring up thad no, I think that um, we talked about last time uh, the idea of abiding right. in him. So I think we're okay there. Yeah, and that, that becomes the key, right? That is that connection to Christ, abiding in the vine, residing in him, that dwelling, that is, is intimately tied to the good news, the gospel itself. So verse 28, now little children remain in him. He continues with that remain, abide, dwell in him, so that whenever he's revealed— or when he appears, I think some translations say, That's what mine says, yeah, when um, he appears, yeah. we may have confidence and not put to shame before him at his coming. And so, which, uh, so very interesting here that this abiding is very much linked to the second appearing of Christ. So we, here we have the the the. What allows us to dwell in him right now again is that first advent, and now we have the second coming. The second advent is what is um, an aid to us. And so the question I think we need to ask is, how is that an aid to us? How is this looking towards his his coming again uh how does that help us abide? When I was um, doing my study for the session, I saw verses 28 and 29 as three main topics. One of those you've already mentioned is his appearing. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of listed that third because okay. uh, what I, I first went is the idea that the first thing we're supposed to have is confidence we have confidence and, and are not to be ashamed at his coming. So there's there's a particular confidence that we're to have. The second thing is righteousness. What does that mean? What is mm-hmm. what does that mean if um, if you practice righteousness? But what is righteousness altogether? And then third, I kind of pulled in that appearing. Right. So where I, where I went first was that a confidence thing. But go ahead. Okay. Well, that, that's good. Let's talk about that. But what I want what I'm seeing is that the confidence and the righteousness are both being tied to the coming, that there's a relationship is related to that. So he says, so that whenever he is revealed, we may have confidence and not yet be put to shame in his coming. Right, right. If you know that he's righteous, you know that everyone practices righteousness. So, um, so, so let's... See if what you're as you investigate the confidence. Let's see if that comes out in we, any. Yeah, so. we're seeing it the same way. Okay. What, the reason that I put the appearing t- to the end of it is because for some, when they read this, they may not be. It's pretty easy to skim over when he appears. I mean, that, yeah. that seems like it's almost a non tangible item, right? Right at, at first. I mean, it can, and so that's why I kind of put it on the on the on the back portion of it because once we discuss 
um, the confidence that we have, and we discuss what the righteousness of God is, then that appearing to me, uh, it just it's just how I handled it. I don't think it really will make that much difference. But just for example, what I did is the very first thing that I looked up is a, a few verses of confidence that were brought to mind. Um, one of them is in Ephesians chapter three, and it says in, in verse 12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Wow. So there's a couple things there. We have, um, we have access to God mm-hmm. and that confidence that's in part of that is, is coming through the faith in him. So it's, uh, what are we faithful in and why do we have confidence? It's not really because of our faithfulness, but because he is the faithful one. Right. Right. And so, um, again, it takes the focus off of us having to accomplish anything of a good work, but just that trusting, that confidence and faith and assurance that we have in him, right? And then another one would be that's going to come up later on in, in this same chapter in verse 21 of 1 John 3 says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. Right. So again, this is this to me, our heart does not condemn us, has the same concept of that anointing of the Holy Spirit that we are um have this internal testimony of God within us, right? And right. If, that that's kind of a heart issue in my opinion. That's I think that's kind of parallel to that. Do you think that that could be? Um Yeah, I, well I think it 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 is, but it's but it, it but it's not absent of the the mind taking hold of that truth as well, right? That it is right. the, that it is the, um, well, that's my point. It's exactly my point. So, um, when people say, just follow your heart, you know, some people's hearts tell them to do sinful things, you know, because depending yeah. on what you're doing, that can be a lustful, uh, a lustful event or, or whatever. But the idea of the heart and the scriptures here is that heart that really belongs to God. So it's a godly heart, you know, mm-hmm. which is, that's kind of why I was trying to parallel that with you. Okay. Him. Yeah. 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 I think, yeah, I, I agree. What, when you see your heart drawn towards Christ, right. And, and we think about his life, his death, his resurrection, um, and I'm specifically thinking even of his resurrection, because I think there's a deep connection between his resurrection and his second coming. Sure. Right? That's the first, in essence, you know, the first fruits, the, the, the victory over death and evil and sin, and we see that, and there's going to be that final consummation that, that, that comes in his appearing. And so the confidence, like you say, the confidence is not in anything that we do, but it, it's all in him. And so there is a... There's an objective, rooted in history, real event that we look to that makes us confident of his return, um, right? Right, yeah. And, and that is, that is his, his resurrection. Yeah, and so that's awesome. The reason that that's so great is because through Jesus Christ's resurrection, it's the conquering of the grave, and it calls his resurrection, the first fruits yeah. right, of those who would follow. That's going to be everybody else is going to follow in a, a final resurrection. But there's two parts to resurrection. One is that physical resurrection that Jesus Christ did when he raised was risen from the grave, right? And 
also the physical resurrection at the end of time. There's this physical resurrection, a new a new body, right? That we're yes. gonna get. But tied to baptism, the whole reason that we go through a baptism process symbolically is to demonstrate the bigger reality of what we went through spiritually. Yes. Right? Which is we were once dead spiritually, but through association and a union with Christ, we died with him. Mm-hmm. So the baptism, when we go under the water, I think we talked about this before, but we when, we, when we're dunked, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. That's the symbolic of we died with Christ. And then when we're pulled out of the water, that's, spirit, that's that symbol of resurrected or being raised with Christ. Mm-hmm. And so we have... Um, a spiritual death, which we all all have died, you know, in Adam, right. and then the we call that our first resurrection. Yeah, well, Jesus, in talking to Nicodemus, says that you're born again, born again, right? And that's uh, a physical or a spiritual right. thing, right? Paul in Ephesians says that after Christ was raised and ascended, he uses the same language in chapter two that he uses of Christ in chapter one. He says, "You have been raised." You who were dead in your transgressions, you have been raised with him and seated at the right hand. Exactly. So there, so there is. So there is that. That's that new creation life. It's that, and which is, um, which is us recognizing in our identity what we're looking forward to. Exactly, and that's where I was trying to tie it back exactly. in. And when right. you when you said that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is really uh, the the first event of the second coming, yes. or you know, in in some sense. That was a trigger point for me. Right. I had never thought about yeah. that before, but it's so true. It is, and our anointing is the for, is for us the, that the, the the reception of the Holy Spirit, that that regeneration, and then the Holy Spirit coming to live with us is that he says it's a deposit of the inheritance that we're to have <laughs> is what is what Paul says in in Ephesians chapter one, right? Right. Uh, that, that so. That for us, our first resurrection, our rebirth, our new creation—that we have the new man that is made alive in us—is is the evidence that we feel in the heart. You're talking about the heart, right. right? Of of that, what we're coming to, and so that's where I think that's why I'm like this confidence. It has to be tied to the to when he appears. We have to think, and it's very interesting here too that that when he appears here, that word. Because uh, you know, I have this little hang up with with with. I love my brothers and sisters who who, who my dispensational brothers and sisters who <laughs> believe in a rapture and all that stuff. I don't think in any way detracts from their, you know their the fact they're real believers. But I just think it's 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 just not what's it's not the view I have of of these future things. Um, but. But also right here, this isn't a being – they're not looking forward to being whisked away. They're looking forward to his appearing. Right. To his coming. It's not that just he's – and I don't think this is just him appearing in the clouds so I can be taken away and escape this world. It's 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 appearing to come and bring the consummation of the kingdom. It, it is exactly what that right? is. Yes, that is exactly And so yeah. our confidence is in that. And my confidence is the fact that he's presently reigning right now. And so it's, it's it's confidence in his present reign that so when he does appear again, when he comes at his coming, it's going to be done, <laughs> you know? Uh, and, and so uh, I bring this up because verse 29 says, if you know that he is righteous, well, he is righteous there isn't just that he never committed any moral sin. The righteousness there also has to do that, that he fulfilled 
all righteous. He fulfilled all of God's purposes and plan. Yeah. Quit um, looking at my notes. <laughs> <laughs> That's but, funny. But, yeah. but that also is the... It's how the, the relation of his first advent is to his second advent, right? right. Well, like exactly. We have confidence that that's going to happen. Yeah. So go we're, into No, we're, we're about ready to bridge over into that section, but yeah. just one more verse, and we're going to get to this down the road in, in, in chapter four, but just in regard to the uh, appearing, uh, listen to what chapter four, verse 17 says. It says that love has been perfected among us in this that we may have boldness boldness in the day of judgment. Because mm. as he is, so are we in this world. Right. Wow. You know that could also be that is that same word confident? Is it the same word? Because my ESV yeah, here boldness. has confidence, same as the word used here in this chapter. It is, yeah. yeah. It's a different yeah, so boldness is the confidence. Right. Okay. And I, that's why I was saying there, there's this right. confidence that yeah. I, I, I kept seeing as part of this you know, this, these couple of verses here. And then from there, you know, it goes into that last phrase in verse nine there, who practices righteousness born of him. And so in the gospel of John uh, seven, verse 18, Jesus is speaking. And he says that he who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true. So this is Jesus speaking of if of a man just talking about himself as seeking his own glory, but he who's speaking of the one who sent him, that's the son's relationship to the father. So, mm-hmm. but the but the son who seeks the glory of the father who sent him, that's true. And no unrighteousness is in him. And so that word righteous and righteousness so popped out at me. I had to do another word study on it. Okay. And it was really um Pretty interesting because uh, in the Greek here, the righteousness, the, the one who practices righteousness, again, it's a relationship with God in, in our terms, right? The righteousness is uh, that perfection of, of the law, but it's really more of, in terms for us, it's that condition that's acceptable to God, right? Yes. Now, we know that there is nothing that we can do in and of ourselves that will make us acceptable to God, right? right? So that condition that's acceptable to God um, has to be um, championed by Jesus Christ, right? And so that's that's really neat. But here's where here's where it took a twist for me. So that's in the Greek, and so what I did is a quick word study in the Greek, and so I looked in the New Testament, and there's the first appearing of of that righteousness in the new Testament takes place in Matthew and in Matthew chapter three, verse 15, it says there, somebody asked Jesus a question and it says, Jesus answered and said to him, um, they, I guess they, this is in regard to the baptism, right? Where John the Baptist didn't, um, he's like, I'm not going to baptize you. It's me that needs baptism, you know, from you. And uh, Jesus answered and said, permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So that's the first time that that word um, appears in in the New Testament there. Um, that and gr- it's, the, it's the Greek word dikaiosune. It is. Yeah, or dikaios is yeah. the root, right? right. Yeah. Now, yeah. what's really crazy about that, when you look at the, the very root front end of that word, it talks about penalty. Yep. Okay. So there's the the penalty, and we find out that if we're not being righteous, that when we sin against the law, there's a penalty for that, right? The wages of sin is death. That's part of it. But then, so without trying to 
you know, capitalize on your time too much. This is just, it was really fun. I went back to the old Testament because the first, um, Greek use in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the original Hebrew, right? right. The, of the language, Old Testament. Of the Old yep. Testament language um, takes place in Genesis chapter 15. Well, Genesis chapter 15, you know, is Abraham, right? right? And in verse six, it says, and Abraham believed Yahweh and God accounted it to him for righteousness. So the, the first attributed righteousness was to the one of faith. Right. Right. Again, Abraham and all those before him didn't do anything good and of themselves except for to have faith that God was trustworthy. Right. And and this is where we're going with this, you know. So that righteousness, when it speaks of that righteousness, we gotta get we gotta get that out of our head that this is dependent upon what I'm gonna do. Yeah. And I think too when we think of righteousness, I often think of of only the moral aspects of that in terms of like just the breaking of either the keeping or breaking of the Ten Commandments. But we got to understand, too, that those commandments are given in context of covenant and covenant relationship. And so part of righteousness is not just I did a good thing versus a bad thing. Righteousness, especially as it relates to Jesus being the fulfillment of this, and even back to Abraham's faith— it has to do with fidelity to the covenant. Right. You know, and, and so when I break the law, and I think this actually relates, and part of the reason I wanted to read verses 4 to 10, which I think we'll get into more next podcast, but this whole idea of practicing lawlessness. When we think of lawlessness, we also need to think of covenant breaking, not just that I told a lie, but it's this covenant infidelity to Yahweh, the true God. It absolutely is. And that's why when we talk about the the old covenant, I mean, the the source of that covenant relationship is God says, right. I promise to be your God if you promise to be my people. But he does give him the Ten Commandments, right? So there is a moral aspect well, to there is, it. Because it's, it's the lived out expression right. of what the people of God are supposed to look like, which goes back to carrying the name, which we've talked about before, bearing witness and all of that stuff. So so, um, as we think about righteousness here, and we think about if you know that he is righteous, okay, you always need to think about this, which goes back to the episode, to our our um, episodes and the, the series three of the Eternal Covenant, right? That there was this promise between the Father and the Son to, to make all this happen. And when the Son comes as the Messiah, He knows, yes, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to steal. I'm going to live out the character of God, but I'm also going to stay true to the Father. I only do what the Father tells me to do. Right, because they're in perfect union with each other. And that is fidelity, faithfulness, and that's what's fulfilling all righteousness. I know that he's righteous, not just because he never told a lie. I know he's righteous because he did whatever the Father told him to do. Exactly. Which ultimately is going to the cross. And, and, and so even when he's hu- in his humanity, he's praying for this cup to be taken from him. He says, not my will, but yours be done. Right. That's righteousness. Right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. And so if we talk about, you know, uh, having to stand in judgment before God, 
uh, we have no righteousness, right? Yes. And so what do we say? What do we say is our righteousness? And it's not a what, it's a who. It's a who, right? yes. And it also relates then to everyone who practices righteousness has been fathered by him is when we're adopted as children into Christ because of union with Christ and we're brought into the family, just then we also say, oh, I have this new identity. I now practice what my brother Christ did because we share the same father. Right. Exactly. And it has to, you have to be born again. Right. And yes. so this is, this is what, okay, listen up audience. This is, you're going to totally get this in one second. When, when we talk about the tenses of being saved, yes. right. When we, uh, when we first believe, if you believe in Jesus Christ, we, we use the word that we have been saved. We've been saved, um, but what's the opposing? Not what's the synonym word to righteousness? Mm-hmm. We we have been justified. justified. Right. Same exact word. Right. They use it in two different ways because of the English language. Right. But when we say we've been justified, that is a word of righteousness. Yes. Right. And sometimes I'll when I'm teaching, I'll even say. Um, Instead of uh, justified, I'll say we've been righteousified because it, it understands the full the fullness of that word in yeah. Jesus Christ, who is our righteousness, right? So that's mm-hmm. so, and that's why it can only happen if we're if we're His children. Those have to go together. You can't yeah. be righteous and not be a child of God, right? Yeah, and and so as we think about practicing righteousness. It's good in your relationship with God. I don't know when you did this, but I felt like, and I'm I'm not trying to talk about any kind of spiritual elitism or anything, but for lack of a better way to say it, I feel like there was a got to a point where I graduated from, or I learned that it wasn't just about, um, practicing righteousness wasn't just about the do's and the don'ts. Right. The practicing righteousness really was about learning how to love God, that that in which I'm still learning. I'm still in that process. I'm still in that sanctification process. Sure. But it's it's the difference between oh, if I do something bad, I'm going to disappoint God, or I'm going to, or He's going to like, He's going to give me demerits or all that kind of stuff, you know. But more is like no, I I want to to love Him, and I and in loving Him, I want to represent Him well. You know, I want to image, <laughs> live out this new image I have. And so that practicing of righteousness is not, um, uh, at the end of the day, I can look back and, and, and count up all the good things I did. No, it's, was I faithful to God today and, and, and faithful to my Father? And, and that little switch in mentality really helped me a lot in, in that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, me too. I don't think I could really pinpoint a, a time other than the fact that um, there, I think as we look at our own sinfulness, right, and we and we consider scriptures that we understand even without hearing them, but uh, like in Isaiah, it says that even on our very best day, it's as filthy rags in front of the Lord, even on our best effort, right? right? So it can't be about how we walk this out by ourselves, right? We can't we can't achieve it. In fact, on our best day, the filthy rags is a a very very graphic statement, right? And it's just like we're we're filth, 
well, wait a minute, I'm doing really good. No, you are filth. And that's why it says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And that without faith, even the good things that we do are sinful. Wow, that's weird, right? I mean, I th- I think I mentioned this before, but you know, you take somebody that isn't in faith, they can have a billion dollars and they can give half of it away to charitable organizations, but they aren't accomplishing anything that's uh, making them righteous before God. Right. And God may be very well using it for his good. He, can, he, he sure <laughs> but, will. But, it, but it's not meriting them anything right. before God, right? right? And that's where, as we think about the life of the new man, this new creation within us, we think about it as as this growing in this, and it's born out of the, the it originates with the love of the Father, which brings us to, to verse one of chapter three. We right? made it to verse one. We made it to verse one. <laughs> See what sort of love the Father has given us. Mm. It starts in the initiating work of God. It, it's his love for us. That's, that's now becomes the root of what we have, that we are now called children of God, again, because we've been fathered by him. And so we, we are called children of God, not because of anything we did, but all of because of what Christ accomplished for us. We're adopted into the family. Uh, and so, and this, and, and it says, and we are, we have to, John is emphasizing here that this is this new identity. And, and, and some of the struggles I think that, that people are having potentially with this false teaching and some of the things are creeping in is are they, they're wondering, oh, am I a child of God or am I not? And he's saying, yes, we are. We have to see ourselves in, in, in light of this, um, in light of, of who Jesus is and that our confidence is in him. Right. And so— uh, and and that that brings this you know sometimes we use the word sonship that we we are we share in this sonship of Christ because now we're children of God and and then he it's interesting he says because of this the world does not know us because it did not know him we become if our lives become so associated with Christ and with the Father that now the world says who are you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, you are not the guy I knew in high school, Thad. Yeah. I mean, I hear that often. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and again, you know, it, it, one of the things that rings in my ears as I read this, too, is also not not to scare me, but to actually help with this evaluation is, you know, when Jesus says, um, you did all these things in my name, but I never knew you. Right. Oh. Yeah, that's that. That that does that have we been talking about that even in the last episode that intimate yeah love right that intimate knowledge. Right. Uh so it's not that he didn't know that I existed or anything like that, but he didn't know me as his child. Exactly that we that there's there's not evidence of being born again. There's not evidence of that you are a child uh, of the God that you're not uh of the Father. And so uh so yeah, that Again, are you do are you doing religious things, even in the name of so that your is your mentality because I gotta I gotta do stuff so God loves me, I gotta do I gotta do stuff to I gotta merit this affection. Right, right. For those of us that have been raised in healthy homes, you know, uh, I think that we can reflect back on to our childhood and our parents' 
unconditional love for us, right? Where we we could screw up and we could feel bad a little bit, but we know that when it's really bad, we can love, we can run to their open arms, right? And and have that yeah. embrace because we're their child. We're, there's right. nothing that we're going to do that's make that's going to have them disown us as as a child of theirs, right. right? And that's that's their true love. Now, okay, hang on because this is so cool. You this relationship of the child to the father mm-hmm. relationship or the child to the parent structure. There's, there's really two types of relationships that are given um, as examples of our relationship to God, right? The first one is to be that child of God, right? Mm-hmm. We're his children. Right. And that, and that relationship uh, from, of a parent child, like we, like we see here. But the second one that I see is that of, the marriage covenant, the marriage relationship, right? And here's what ties into that. At, when Christ comes, it's the groom coming mm. for the bride, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that relationship of marriage is where two are made one. And that's our union with Christ, isn't it? Right. And I just think about that, and it's just so amazing that these two analogies of being a child of God and then also being one who's waiting for their spouse to come and take them into their everlasting loving arms for eternity, um, those two meld together uh, very well. And that's not, the the bride and the groom is not a new analogy. That began all the way back in the garden, and it also was the analogy of the of the first covenant, right? The old Testament, because I'll, I'll be like a, I'll be like a husband to you. And that's why when Israel kept being so disobedient, God actually wrote them a certificate of divorce. He mm, says, that's right. Right. So the Israel tried to break that covenant relationship to go serve other gods, but God, of course, protecting his own name, as we've talked about so many times, right. he's the one that says, no, I'm going to reserve a remnant. Yeah. Right. That's, that is such a huge, this is all about relationship. Right. And A, there's nothing that we can do to earn his love, but B, the best part about it is, is that our actions, you know, don't separate us from his love either. Yeah, they don't. And actually, I think as we, when our mindset is in this new life we have as his child, and we are looking to his appearing again, it does start to then show itself in a life that starts to look like the new life that we'll fully live one day. And it, that life is actually talking about union with Christ and kind of the bridegroom thing is that we actually start taking on his qualities. I don't know if you've ever noticed this in some marriages, like the longer sometimes you get people are married, they you start to take on like hopefully the good stuff, right? You know, they're like, <laughs> yeah. like my wife's rubbing off on me in a good way, and hopefully right. I'm rubbing off on her in a good right. way, no, right? Absolutely. That, that that happens, which leads me to verse two. He says, "Dear friends, now we are children of God, and we will, and what we will be has not yet been revealed." Uh, so it's saying, so we. It started in the sense that we are new, but we, we don't have the fullness. We, aren't, we don't have our resurrected bodies yet. We're not fully given yeah. over to the Spirit. So that's still yet to be revealed. You know, it, I still don't know exactly what that's going to look like. I have hints and clues, but it's kind of like N.T. Wright uses the example of trying to explain color to a blind person. Yeah. 
You know, then in the, like when we get into some of the eschatological stuff, I think that's why, especially like the book of Revelation uses apocalyptic imagery and, and literate, it's an apocalyptic literature because it's using symbols and signs and references to point to what we can't fully grasp because we, right. none of us have experienced it yet. Right. You know, and so that's what we have here. It's not yet been revealed. However, he says, when we know that whenever he is revealed, that's the second coming of Jesus. We will be like him. Mm. That that is the 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 end goal. The the Greek word used is telos. It's, it's the the end goal is in what Paul says in in um, Romans eight that we will be conformed to his image. Right. 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 That, that that's the uh, that's where we're going, and so we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. Uh, think about think about. Uh, James and John in the Mount of Transfiguration. <laughs> right, yeah. They got to see that. They got to see, you know, and, and, we, and when they saw it, they were so blown out and bewildered, they didn't know what to do. <laughs> They're trying to build tabernacles, <laughs> yeah. you know, and stuff. <laughs> you know, but it's, it's but, and so, um, but, but, but to, to use our imagination, governed by the scripture, I mean, if, if the scriptures give us clues, right? Uh, of how to do that, but we we should we should use our imagination to look forward to that day because as we do, it, it shapes this day. I remember when I was a, a, a boy, and I loved basketball, and I played a lot of basketball. I had my heroes, and I'd watch them play, and I'd imagine myself being them. And as I imagined myself being them, I would try to do their moves. Oh, yeah. I would try to shoot like them. I'd try to do the, you know, dribble like them. I would try to do that. And But I had to use my imagine. I, I would look and see, but then I'd have to use my imagination to help me think of myself in that way. And I think that in some ways we have to have that mindset here. Um, we we have to say, I'm going to be like Jesus, and, and so, well, none of us can be, you know, none of we're human. We can't be perfect. We can't be this. And we're like, whoa, the mindset is, is that I'm going to be like him. I'm going to have my resurrected body. I'm not going to be God, but I am going to be like him in the sense the the, the, the the made perfect man again. Right. In my humanity, I'm going to be like the perfect Jesus humanity. Right. Which, and, and which, so, in, which includes a, a total... Dissolution of sin. Yes, right. And so, if 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 I can focus on that and think about the new man in me like that, then I will imagine and try to start living that way. Well, this is exactly the point that you brought up fifteen minutes ago. Right. Is like at what point you know there's something that happens sometimes yes. in your life where you have this realization, and this is it, right? Yeah. This is this is when we realize that the reason that we love him is because of his love for us. Right. Right. In fact, yeah. the scriptures say you can't even love God unless he loved you first. Right. Right. There's, this is, is the, uh, the whole, um, doctrine, I guess, if we could say of ability or inability. Yeah. Right. And so once he loves us and we are made able through being born again and right. becoming his child, now we're in the family. And we have the anointing of the spirit. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we have that hope. We have that. The, the big hope is to be, you know, finally, turned into that image and we can feel that process and actually witness it taking place here on earth as we go through this kingdom of God now as the kingdom continues to grow. Right, exactly. And so in verse three, then he says, and everyone who has this hope, this hope of 
the resurrection, but also of the appearing again, of the revealing again, of his second coming, of what this is. In him, see, our hope is in him, in Christ. It says purifies himself just as that one is pure. Wow. And so it makes me think of um, of this these verses in Titus, which I hadn't always necessarily looked at him in light of this, but but it's very helpful. Something popped out at me as I as I saw this reference in one of the commentaries. It referenced this. I'm going to start actually in verse 11 of chapter two of chapter two. <laughs> Titus, do you you have this one as well? Oh yeah, yeah. It says, um, "For the grace of God has appeared." Now here, it, back up in verse 10, it talks about um, that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. So the the the. We already know he's appeared as Savior. He His first appearing, okay, right, right. we have here. Um, for the grace of God has appeared. That is done. Bringing salvation for all people. And in that, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Mm-hmm. We've talked about these two ages. Right. The present age, the last days, the last hour, as, as, as John said here. That is the present age. We're living in that, but we're looking to the coming age. But it, as we do that, we're living these upright, godly lives in this age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, John references lawlessness in the coming verses, and to purify him for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Now, there's something very important, I think, to, to bring up here is that it's so my own personal growth, my own personal growing in godliness and training and all these things, it's related to me as a child of God, but I'm also part of a family of God. He he goes from he goes here saying that what is God's ultimate purpose is to purify for himself a people. Right. Right? Which which again makes me say how you cannot think that the church is the new Israel or you know the the, the I don't know. <laughs> but but that's what he's doing here, right? He's making for himself a people, and I'm part of that. And so when I'm not living that out, it's not just I'm, not, I'm, I'm affecting me, but I'm also affecting Thad and my other brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we're in this together, and God is so faithful in Christ to do this in us that He's making this a people for his own possession, as we talked about, because he's already put the deposit of the Holy Spirit in us, because our inheritance is with him. And he even says we are his inheritance, his possession, yeah. in that sense, to that we become zealous for good works. See, there's no meritoriousness in this good in these good works. Right. The good works are all the zeal born out of this love for God and exactly. being his people. It's a natural response. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. right. Now I I think that this verse that you just read in this section is really important. I also think that maybe we should spend some more time in regarding or in regard to our hope yeah. that we have. And so maybe what we should do is because we're our time is starting to run thin here yeah. is carry this over until next week, and we'll pick up in that verse three, and then we'll be able to talk about that hope that we have and continue that conversation because the rest of through verse ten is the same 
same theme. It is, and and that's that's why I wanted to read it this week. Normally, we wouldn't get to it, but but as we think about this good works, I think it's very important as we think about what does it mean to practice lawlessness. What does it mean to because right. you're basically rejecting when you're practicing lawlessness, you're rejecting your identity. You reject this whole idea of he's created for himself a people who want to do good works. And it's that all that, that fidelity to relationship, it's the understanding, our sonship. It has all to do with that. And then it flows itself into to this whole idea of what's your life characterized by, which the rest of those verses are all about. Exactly. And here's here's one more thing that is not gonna sound like it's gonna fit, but it's gonna explain a lot when we look into um the Christian life and some of the sufferings we have in, in this present day. Right. You know, the sufferings that we have go hand in hand with the glory that's going to be revealed. Yeah. And, and that, that can be tough to reconcile, but I think right. that's part of the bigger discussion. Yeah, so we might be getting this in Romans 8 next week. Too. You think so? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right, fantastic. Yeah. Well, good. Um, so any final thoughts? Uh, no, well, no, I one thing, because we, we've talked about how we want this to be about evangelism a little bit, witness, and and so forth. And I think it's very important as we witness to people, as we share the good news, it's always good to, I mean, we, we do it in conversation, we do it in knowing where people are at and in, in, in context of people's lives, just like we deal with Scripture in context. But I think sometimes it, when we stop sharing the good news just at, it's just at, um, here's a way to get out of hell. Right, and we don't talk about the new creation. Right. We don't talk about the hope of of the real God setting all things right. Just like He wants to set me personally right, He wants to set all things right. That this hope that we have, that these good works that we do, that this righteous we live, it's all laying the groundwork for the new creation. In the sense that it, it they themselves are the first fruits of new creation, and so as we share. The gospel, I think especially when I think about younger generations, millennials on down, who are very passionate about things like social justice, and they care a lot about the destruction in the world, and they care about the poor and poverty, and the, they care about the mistreatment of groups of people, and so forth. Right. That When we share the good news of Jesus, and we talk about good works, those good works are, can be involved those things. But they all start, they have an origin. The origin isn't in the work itself. The origin is in the one who, who brought the hope of new life for those things. Exactly. And so, um, so I, I think it's just good to think about that as we, as we think about there's something about talking about the, 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 the reappearing, this whole idea that he is revealed and he's going to be revealed again and all that, all that. We don't have to get into all the little stuff we get caught up talking about these intricacies of some of our different millennial views and eschatology and all that stuff that detracts from the fact that Jesus is setting all things right. And, and we look towards his appearing, his second coming um, as with great hope. And it should affect the way we live now. And it should affect the way we communicate what his life, death, and resurrection accomplishes. Right. And so um, awesome. think about that and, and dwell upon that. And I think you're going to find that you're going to become a more effective evangelist as you do. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Well, we'll see you all next time. All Have right. a good night, everybody. Bye.
Planet is a Cornerstone EPC production, connecting to God, one another, and the world through the love of Jesus. More information can be found at cornerstonebrighton.com.